Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. It's the beginning of July. The summer is going. And I think tensions are getting hot in the world today. Good morning. Oh, man. Maybe getting some kind of normal schedule now. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not awake yet. Let me see. That's fine. I say run. <laughs> I am ready with my story. Let's see what we got. Let's talk about ticks. Alright. Got my three stories. Okay. You wanna get comfortable? Um. I don't know if that's possible, but I'll give it a shot. That looks good to me. What does it? Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Get on a pillow. Yeah. Alright, man. Ready? Go. Okay. Today on Before Coffee Extinction Rebellion. Plugs holes on 10 Spanish golf courts in water protest. Why some Americans are not celebrating July 4th. France protest ease as Macron prepares to meet leaders of parliament. And we talk about ticks. Ukrainian writer Victoria Amelina dies after being wounded in Kramatorsk strike. And we talk about our hot, hot, hot planet. Today on July 3rd, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Okay, first story today. Climate activists in Spain have filled holes on 10 golf courses to draw attention to huge amounts of water in the elitist leisure pursuit uses as a nationwide drought wait the water elitist leisure's leisure pursuits uses as the nationwide drought continues in the first heat wave of the year this is from sam jones in madrid members of extinction rebellion xr revealed their latest direct action campaign in a video released on sunday saying they had targeted courses in locations including madrid Barcelona, Valencia, the Basque Country, Nevada, and Ibiza. Footage showed activists plugging holes with soil and planting seedlings alongside the, sign, the signs that read, Drought Alert, Golf Course Closed for Climate Justice. In a statement, XR said it had carried out the action to denounce the wasting of water by golf in the midst of one of the worst droughts in history. It said golf courses in Spain used more water than the cities of Madrid and Barcelona combined with each hole requiring more than 100,000 liters water a day to maintain the greens. We cannot allow this kind of elitist leisure pursuit to continue, the statement said. Spain is drying up, and the rural world is suffering losses running into the millions because of the lack of water for crops, all because of an entertainment enjoyed by scarcely 0.6% of the population. Rich people and their leisure activities that gobble up essential resources are a luxury we cannot afford. While all of Spain has been in a drought since January 2022, some parts of the country are more gravely affected by the lack of rain than others. 
Authorities in Catalonia, which had been in drought for more than three years, have introduced laws including a 40% reduction in water to be used for agriculture, a 50% reduction in industrial uses, and a cut in the average daily supply per inhabitant from 250 liters to 230 liters. In May, the Spanish government approved a 2.2 billion euro plan to help farmers and consumers cope with the drought, which has been exacerbated by the hottest and driest April on record. Spain is a country that use, used wait, that is used to periods of drought, but there's no doubt that a consequence of climate change we were experiencing. We're seeing far more frequent and intense events and phenomena, said the environment minister, Teresa Rivera. We need to prepare for that by taking advantage of all the technical capacity that Spain has acquired and developed over many years. We need to deal with episodes such as the present one, and that requires planning. Structural measures also, obviously. Short-term and immediate help plans. Yes, for anyone not in the clue, we are currently in the climate change. We're in, it's not happening tomorrow. It didn't happen two years. I mean, I guess maybe it did happen two years ago. But we're in it, right? It's not happening in ten years. We are, it's starting now. It's been it. We've been in it now. Get ready to uh, start changing your lifestyles. No more golfing. We can't. I mean, just it is a waste of water. It's just people in a field. You can do that on fake grass. You don't need real grass. I'm just saying. Is it oh, nicer that's... to be real grass? Yeah. But don't worry. Just wait. Just wait until you get too much rain. It'll be an opposite problem. <laughs> That'll happen too, and then I'll say, well, it's too much rain. Oh, so, whatever. It'll be extreme weather, whether you like it or not. I, I would say don't give up anything. Because we're we're just basically doomed, you know. We're just it's over. It's just you're just, over. you're just devil may care who cares, just do whatever you want. Okay. Well that is what the rich uh, people are doing, not, to be fair. Uh, the billionaires are just going, Well, if the world's ending, I might as well get all my fun out while I can. Not necessarily, it's not necessarily what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's over. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying, well, I'll give up golf, but what do I got? 10 years? Oh, I'm not going to give up golf. Anyway. I, oh, is that the story? That's it for me. Okay. All right. So it's almost 4th of July, United States, where we celebrate independence. Here's a story from the uh, New York Times. Charles tell us about people that don't like to celebrate the July 4th. This is by Ellison Kruger of New York Times. Growing up in Benton, Arkansas, Malaya Tapp loves celebrating the 4th of July with her family. We would go to the parades and see fireworks shows and hang out with friends. It was always such a fun holiday. But now she's an adult, she's 18, and entering college next year. Commemorating the holidays isn't so simple. Started in 2020, when Black's Life, Black Lives Matter movement spotlighted many of the injustices across the country. I lost a lot of my patriotic feelings, she said. Mrs. Tapp, who now lives in Atlanta, also, I'm oh, sorry, Ms. Tapp, who also lives in Atlanta, also realized that many festive components of her Fourth of July aren't that palatable for her. Uh, there are the fireworks. It's hard to tell the difference between guns and fireworks. And here there's always something on the news about shitting or something, so it makes me nervous. There's also bad for the environment. They release a lot of toxic chemicals. This year, she is skipping the holiday altogether, opting instead to travel with her church group to visit Navajo Nation in Arizona. But the trip was canceled because of the COVID outbreak. That's right, people still got COVID outbreaks. 
Some Americans, especially younger people, are rethinking whether they want to celebrate Independence Day. Surveyed by YouGov, found that 56% of Americans adults plan to join the festivities this year. Of course, there are many people, including celebrities, still getting into patriotic spirit. Spirit, Demi Lovato, Post Malone, and Shiroko coming are among many artists performing on CNN's 4th of July special. Ja Rule is playing live at the Coney Island as part of the Independence Day celebration. Marissa Vivori, 29, a tech product manager in Manhattan, remembers the last time she celebrated the 4th of July. A few summers ago, she was going to Hampton, she said, on the most packed Long Island Railroad train she'd ever been on. I didn't get a seat and I was standing in the aisle and the toilet overflowed and we, had all, and we all had to hold on to our bags. She realized she never loved her holiday. I remember even as a kid feeling bad for the animals during the fireworks. Logistically, celebrating New York New, in New York City poses challenges. You're either in Manhattan and it's super hot and you're figuring out where you're going to be watching the fireworks, or you're trying to leave to go to Jersey Shore to the Hamptons, and it's a fortune and it's overcrowded. She also has political qualms about the holiday. Last summer, Roe versus Wade was overturned and that really made me less inclined to celebrate, she said. Even if she wanted to celebrate, she worried she worry about the messages sent. So this year she's leaving U.S. soil altogether and heading to Italy and Britain instead. I'll be in London for the actual fourth. The irony is not lost on me. Alison Bartella, 30, a publicist in Brooklyn, is also finally saying no to a holiday she never loved. I feel like it's kind of New York's New Year's Eve of summer. Expectations are high and they're usually not met. The food is always sitting out in the sun and it's hot. You're getting scared by the random fireworks in the street. It just doesn't turn out how you want it to be. This year, she is staying put in New York City where she plans to go to a bar in the Lower East Side. Some Americans are trying to come to terms with the fact that the 4th of July is no longer as unifying communal day. Well, you can make it one, morons. You can be at any holiday you want it to be. Stop making a, you know. Connor Miskowitz. 28 is a content creator in Phoenix. A content creator in Phoenix decided to do a video series in which she asked strangers if they were going to celebrate Independence Day. I got everything from America's greatest country in the world. We have to celebrate the American dream to this country has a lot to work on. America isn't so free and I don't feel like celebrating. He said, I honestly didn't expect to get the variety of answers I got. I think a lot of people think America isn't for everyone anymore, so it's not an inclusive holiday. He posted the videos on Instagram and TikTok and received thousands of comments. A lot of people were like, why would you ask such a question? It seemed like a duh, duh thing, but I was like, watch the videos and you will see. I will say this, the people who celebrate July 4th are from other countries a lot of times. They're like, wow, it really is nice to live in a place where you don't fear everything. Anyway, so... Yeah, American. people who come from countries where they're getting bombed every day and, you know, there's a warlord taking over your village. Yeah, that's 100%. It's great. Yeah. Our freedoms for granted because, oh, no, we're not perfect. But again, I am one of them silly, silly people who thinks we can do better, but we need to stop sitting around complaining. Your story. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think if it's nice to, you know, sit here and go, oh, everything sucks, but do something about yeah. it.
That's all. Yeah, like, well, hey, it's noisy. Okay, I, it's noisy. Yeah. Everything's noisy, man. We're noisy country. We just are. We're noisy. I mean, I, I did something about it. I left the country, you know? So. Yeah. I, did, uh, I, did, I left the country a few years ago, but it was... It was it wasn't make or planned or anything. It just yeah. happened. It was just, I was out of the country on this day. I didn't even make any a dent in my logic. It's just a well. I got that day off, so I might as well go somewhere, right? That's about it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm just. A, but I get I get their sentiment that they just don't feel the patriotism anymore. I never felt the patriotism. I think I stopped like standing up for the Pledge of Allegiance when I was 10. I was like, wait, why am I even doing this? I don't even understand why I'm doing this, so I stopped. <laughs> well, immigrants, because they're the most patriotic of all. Well, yeah, but especially the people who got in citizenship, they're incredibly like, yeah, because they have to go through all that, those tests yep. and stuff. Go live in that shithole I came from, they will say. say yeah. Go live there for a year and go tell me what you appreciate about here. Anyway, your, your story. Speaking of, uh, if you don't like something about your country, take some action and do something about it. French protests. Right. Police have only made 49 arrests on Sunday after appeal for calm from the grandmother of the killed teenager. We talked about the story last week where some police... Uh, shot and killed a 17-year-old who was driving away in their car. That's what they decided was the best action to stop him from moving his vehicle. This is from Kill Wilshire in Paris and agencies. So probably other sources have accumulated the information for this report. President Emmanuel Macron is to meet the leaders of both houses of parliament as violent protests in France over the police shooting of a teenager, Nahel M, appeared to ease after five nights of unrest during which thousands of people have been arrested amid widespread dis destruction. Police made 49 arrests nationwide on Sunday, French media reported, setting the interior ministry down sign significantly from the 719 arrests the day before and the 1,300 on Friday. So, over 2,000 people have been arrested in protests against the killing of the 17-year-old boy. Macron will also meet on Tuesday with the mayors of 220 towns and cities affected by the protests, his office said, after a crisis meeting on Sunday night with government ministers. The president had been due to fly to Germany on Sunday for a state visit that was canceled due to the ongoing crisis. Meanwhile, the interior minister, Gerald Darmanin, announced the death of a 24-year-old firefighter who died tackling a blaze in the underground car park in the Paris suburb of Saint-Denis after several vehicles were set alight on Sunday evening. Darmanin said the man, a corporal in the Paris Brigade, had died in the hospital despite being very rapidly treated by colleagues on the scene. The ebbing violence follows an appeal for calm from the grandmother of Nahil, the 17-year-old killed on Tuesday during a police traffic stop in Paris suburb. Stop riding, stop destroying, the grandmother said, named Nadia, told the BFMTV. I say, this to those who are riding, do not smash windows, attack schools and buses, stop. It's mothers who take those buses. The rioters, mostly minors, were using the hell's excuse, she said. We want things to calm down. Her grandson, identified by only his first name, was buried on Saturday. On Sunday, politicians condemned an attack on Saturday night which rioters rammed a burning car into the home of Vincent Jaburn. The Jaburn. Uh, 
probably because he's French. The mayor of La Haye Les Roses, nine miles south of Paris, at about 1.30 a.m. While his family were asleep, Jean Brun was at the town hall at the time, but his wife and one of his two children, aged five and seven, were injured as they fled. Jean Brun's wife sustained a broken leg. Last night was a new milestone in horror and disgrace, the mayor from the conservative Les Republicans party tweeted, condemning an act of unspeakable cowardice. Jean Brun, Brun told French television on Monday, my wife fled into the garden with our two children. We have to imagine the scene in complete darkness with only a light from the five flares the rioters had. The mayor said his wife had been worried about the possibility of their home being targeted and had suggested putting a ladder at the bottom of the garden to scale the wall. Wow. And what did Jean Brun, can I get some background on this guy? Did he do something? Did he say something like African immigrants will never be French citizens or something? Like, (laughs) I'm just saying. That is a sentiment in France, which is why this is such a big deal. This isn't just, okay, a 17-year-old guy was killed, but also these are what people are going to call fourth to fifth generation immigrants, which would I would like to call French people, right? But the yeah. fact that people are calling them fourth to fifth generation immigrants, right, is a heavy signifier that they will never be seen as French people. How long do you have to live in France? How many generations before you're French? You speak French, you've never been to Africa, you don't even know any African languages, but you're still not French. It's crazy to me. If you spoke Russian, I think Putin would just come and repatriate you. Yeah, exactly, right? They should be happy about that. Okay, the regional prosecutor Stefana, Stefana Hardouin, I don't know how to say that, so I said it in a Dutch accent, opened an attempted murder investigation on Sunday, telling French television that a parallel... Par- Preliminary investigation suggests the intention to run the houses was set in a bla- was to set it ablaze. First indications suggest the car was driven to the building in order to set fire to it. Adding that a Coca-Cola bottle filled with a flammable liquid had also been found at the scene. Barretos also entered the garden of another mayor in La Riche, outside the city of Tours, and tried to set light to his car. Prosecutor said the politicians of all parties expressed outrage to the attacks. Outrage outrage at the attacks with the demonstrations of support planned outside town halls across France on Monday. By Monday morning, GoFundMe page to support the police officer charged over the killing of the hill had attracted more than 800000 in donations. The offer was doing his job by murdering somebody? Sorry? And it's not paying a high price for it. I think he's paying a normal price for murder. In my opinion. More than 3,000 people have been detained since Thursday, Tuesday after the mass deployment of 45,000 police officers around the country. Over the weekend, Darmanin said the deployment would be unchanged after pro- protesters torched cars, looted shops, damaged infrastructure, and clashed with the police on Saturday night. Paris police chief said it was too early to say the unrest had been quashed. There is evidently less damage, but we will remain mobilized in the coming days. We are very focused. Nobody's claiming victory. Victory. Laurent Nunez said, oh yeah, now the civil war. Victory. Uh, the organizers yeah. of the Tour de France cycling race, which started in Bilbao, Spain, on Saturday, are monitoring the situation. The event will cross into France on Monday. Oh no, not the, bi- the cyclists. Not the cyclists. Oh, the, the Tour de France. That's way more important than never being accepted as a proper citizen in your country because your parents came to France in freaking, I don't know, 
four generations, so you know, let's say, let's go with like 300 years ago. You your family's been living 300 to 400 years. You've been living in France, and it's just like, nope, sorry. At least that's how they're taking it, right? I'm just saying this this is a little too centrist for me. There's another side to this story. The reason to why the protests are happening, just not, Fourth not just oh, pe things burned down, people's business got destroyed. You know, there's there's people's lives, what they feel their lives have, they've hit the the breaking point of the treatment they've been incurring, I suppose. So, that's all. That's all I want to share. The other side of the story. Your story now. Four, oh, did I say who this was from? Yeah, I said who this was from. Your story now. <laughs> four generations is like seventy-two years. Not a long time. Okay. Uh, 72 years? <laughs> yeah, a generation is 18 years. Yeah, so... Yeah. Well, maybe 30, 30, 30 times 5 or 4? Yeah, Ish. but 30 is not a generation. At least a generation would be one generation grows up and is old enough to have children. That'd be 18, so... Anyway, still, uh, you're a citizen, you're a citizen. What the hell difference does it make where your ancestors came from? But yeah, well, France, 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 France. Okay, I don't know what to say. Okay, so on wood tick news, I don't know, have any segue. Uh, this is the New York Times. Uh, in America, we have these things called wood ticks. I don't know if you remember where else. They're annoying. Yep. And they will diseases. This is from Darren in Corvia, Corvea from New York Times. Most people try or at least hope to avoid ticks. The tiny arachnids spread a variety of harmful diseases as they expand their range to new areas. But two scientists recently set out to counter, set out on a counterintuitive mission to collect as many blood-sucking ticks as possible. We had quite a few nice afternoons of frolicking around forests with bedsheets. Sam England, a biologist of the National History Museum, in Berlin said, just dragging them, picking up the ticks. He and Katie L. Laihu, friends and doctoral students at the University of Bristol in England at the same time, were attempting to combine their research topics into a single collaborative project. Dr. Lihu is a veterinary parasitologist who studies ticks, and Dr. England is an ecologist who studies electricity and electroperception electroreception. The resulting paper published Friday in the Journal of Current Biology is no reason to worry about ticks. The scientists demonstrate that the static electric fields naturally produced by animals, including humans, can physically yank ungainly creatures onto their hosts. By electrically extending their reach, ticks may be able to grab hosts more easily, while finding may add ticks terrifying attribute. This knowledge could also be used to improve anti-static tick defenses. Many a tick researchers has had to chase down an arid arachnid after it was flung about by static from plastic or nylon equipment because of static, said Sukiyan, Sakanya Narashimhan, a biologist at Yale University who is not involved in this new study, but popping ticks were considered nothing more than a nuisance. We never gave it much thought, Narasaman said. 
To better understand what was happening, Dr. England and Dr. Lehu brought their ticks in a tightly controlled environment that attempted to mimic conditions they faced when questing for a blood meal. When a tick looks to feed, it stands atop a plant that is grounded, which means its electrical charge is dissipating down into earth. To stimulate its condition, the sticks were placed in a grounding plate. The researchers then passed an electrode, which is charged to 7,500 volts, 3 millimeters over the ticks. The voltage is similar, even lower than the typical mammal's electric field. The ticks were invariably pulled upward against the gravity into the electrode. Holding the parasites close to a similarly charged rabbit's foot produced the same flying tick phenomenon. To get the sense of what this animal attraction might mean for potential ticks in nature, Dr. Anglin designed a computer model for the electric field around a cow. The geometry of a cow is very complicated, Dr. Anglin said. So he demonstrated a technique that breaks up the dimensions into smaller elements, making it easier to develop a model for the entire cow's electric electrical field. This model revealed that the static charge of a passing bovine could exert considerable attractive force on a tick searching for food atop a blade of grass a few millimeters away. Another experiment testing the maximum force required to detect ticks found that 300, a 30 kilovolt surface charge, which is extreme, but theoretically possible in humans, could vacuum up ticks as far as several centimeters away. Ticks could be attracted to electrical fields because they themselves are accumulating static charge as they creep crawl through the world as if that's the case. You would expect them to be attracted to fields of opposite charge where you pull that fields of the same charge. But Dr. England and Dr. Lee, who found that ticks are attracted to both positive and negative electrical fields, this finding suggests that ticks are polarized in some way, meaning positive and negative charges are separated in their bodies. But how exactly that polarization works is clear. Dr. Narasaman said the results were super interesting, but she cautioned that we can't say for sure whether static electricity plays a role in tick life cycle until it's been converted with live hosts outside the lab. Dr. England agrees, suggesting a future experiment with some sheep go through a car wash of anti-static spray, while others would be quite a funny idea. But he also added, he'd be very surprised if it doesn't happen in nature. Whether the field or the lab, the physics doesn't change. Okay, so studying the electric field of a cow, your story. I'm not outputting audio. I remember when I was longboarding and there's really tall grass and Robert had the gall to say, hey, there's no ticks in the Netherlands, at least not on this side of the country. And I'm like, you're insane if you think you can just get rid of all ticks in the entire region of an area. That's because I don't know how. They don't, I don't even think they have natural predators, right? Because America has like the possum that eats yeah. ticks, but I have no idea what the natural predator to ticks here would be, so. I'm not hey, saying John. he's wrong, but I don't think that's entirely accurate to say there's no ticks in the entire region of a country. <laughs> to sad news here from Emma Graham Harrison. Ukrainian writer Victoria Amelia dies after being wounded in Kamatorsk strike. The award-winning Ukrainian novelist, essayist, and war crimes researcher Victoria Amalina, 
who was wounded last week in a Russian missile strike on a restaurant, has died from her injuries. Tributes to both Amalina's activism and her writing poured in from across the world of literature and politics. After PN or Penn Ukraine announced she had died in the hospital in Dinbro, surrounded by friends and family. Amalina, 37, won the Joseph Conrad Literary Prize in 2021 for works including Dom's Dream Kingdom and had been nominated for other major awards including the European Union Prize for Literature. She largely set aside her writing after a full-scale Russian invasion of 2022 to focus on documenting war crimes and working with children on a near on or near the front line. Victoria Milia was one of the kindest and most charitable Ukrainian writers who did much more for others than herself, said the novelist Andrei Kirkov on Twitter. He founded two literary festivals in New York, Donbass, and in Kramatorsk, where her life was stopped by a Russian missile. Her work included unearthing the diary of Vladimir Bakulenko, a fellow writer who was illegally detained and killed by Russian soldiers in the city of Izuyum in early 2022. The diary, which was buried in his garden, serves as a real-time document of Russian atrocity, atrocities. Human rights groups say the attack that killed Amalina on a popular restaurant crowded with civilians in eastern Kamatorsk was also a war crime. 13 people died and more than 60 were injured. Yes, everyone knows restaurants are a danger to your war effort. The writer was traveling with Colombian journalists and writers to document war crimes and build support for Ukraine in the global south. She was acutely aware of the risk she was taking. Her work forced her into frequent close inspection of destructive power of Russian weapons. We are, you could say, obsessed about our freedom, and we're ready to die for it. Russians cannot forgive us for that, she said seven months, seven months before. She also warned that an invading army that denied Ukraine's right to exist would target artists and writers. There was a bleak historic precedent in the executed renaissance Oh, sorry, executed renaissance generation of intellectuals killed in the Soviet Union a century ago. Now there is a real threat that Russians will successfully execute another generation of Ukrainian culture, this time by missiles and bombs, she wrote in a precessant article. A foreword she wrote for Bukalenko's diary places his death in the context of those earlier killings. Amelina, for her commitment to her country and its most vulnerable people ahead of her personal safety training to gather evidence of war crimes that could be used in future prosecutions. She also built networks with foreign journalists and intellectuals to raise support for Ukraine internationally. Before her death, she had been working on a non-fiction book about Ukrainian women's experience of the invasion, Looking at Women, Looking at War, War and Justice Diary, which will be published in English together with Dom Dream's Kingdom. She had been awarded a Columbia University Fellowship in Paris and planned to move there in autumn with her 12-year-old boy. Uh, it's always like that, isn't that? Uh, just a, a few more months and I'll be, I'll be in Paris. Born in the western Ukrainian city of Lviv in 1986, Amelina spent time in Canada with her father as a child. She studied computer science at university and spent a decade working in the tech industry before publishing her first novel in 2015 and building a career in literature. Her work always mixed the political and the artistic. In 2021, she founded a literary festival in New York, Donetsk, a small town that since 2014 had been near the front line. It was a typical example of her playful spirit. Yes, there's a place called New York in Ukraine, by the way. In case anyone's getting confused, there's a place called New York in Ukraine. Um, 
It was a typical example of our playful spirit, eye for capturing attention and commitment to celebrating and supporting Ukrainian defiance and grassroots culture. When I founded New York Literature Festival in a small village called New York in Donbass, I was, of course, being ironic. After all, irony is what makes literature great. Self-irony made the village of New York a fantastic place. Russians have no self-irony. They are serious about themselves, she wrote on Twitter, after Russian forces bombed the festival site. But Ukrainians will survive, laugh and make literature festivals, not war, in all possible New Yorks. I promise. Penn Ukraine promised to keep those festivals going. For us, Victoria's friends and colleagues, it is very important the cultural initiative set up by her could last. Very soon we will share with your information about the ways you can support her life's work. So, very sad, very tragic, but also, in a way, she has made a permanent change to Ukrainian history because, you know, sadly, when people die, you don't want to let go of the things left behind. So, in a way, it, that's a positive note to the loss. On to your story. Okay, and short but sweet heat news, I hope. Uh, Purdue Associated Press, excessive heat warnings remain in place in many areas across the U.S. and are expected to last at least through Monday in Arizona's largest metro area, Phoenix, and surrounding communities. Flirted with a high of 115 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 46 degrees Celsius. On Sunday, the National Weather Service in Phoenix is forecasting 116 degrees for Monday, just two degrees off the record high for that date set in 1907, before the temperatures drop a few degrees for the next three days. In Nevada, the first excessive heat warning of the summer runs through Monday evening for the Las Vegas metro area. Daytime cooling centers are open across the region. It was 102 degrees Friday at Harry Reid International Airport in Las Vegas, ending a 294-day stretch of temperatures staying below 100. Well, temperatures below 100 is news in Las Vegas, by the way. The high in central Las Vegas is near 112 degrees on Sunday and 113 predicted for Monday, according to the National Weather Service. A heat wave baking much of interior California was expected to push the mercury past 105 degrees across the agricultural heart of the state. A record of 111 degrees, which is 44 Celsius, was marked Saturday in Paso Robles, surpassing a high of 107 set in 2013. In Southern California, excessive heat warnings and advisories were extended through Monday for inland areas of West Los Angeles. Elsewhere, the heat and severe weather remain concerned throughout the U.S. Southwest. Heat advisories remain in effect throughout the Southeast Sunday, while a severe thunderstorm was in effect for parts of Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, and Tennessee. Thunderstorm warnings were issued throughout the region Sunday afternoon. Authorities said 31 cows died in a northern Alabama town of Berlin during Saturday's severe weather when lightning struck the tree they were hiding under. So there you are, cows go under trees during thunderstorms. I know this for a fact and I go, wow, them cows are really dumb if that tree gets struck by lightning. They're all dead and it happened in Alabama. Your story. The environment is crazy like that. In culture news, Alison Bechtel, the Bechtel test was a joke. I didn't intend it for be a real ga uh, gauge. 
This is from Zeba Anderson. The US graphic novelist on having her landmark comic strip, Dykes to Watch Out For, turned into an audio series growing up in a funeral home and her famous women's in films test. Cartoonist Alison Bechtel, 62, is the author of three graphic mem memoirs, including Fun Home, a family trigonomic, but she's most widely known for cinema's Bechtel test. To pass, a film has to feature at least two women, preferably named characters, talking to each other about something other than a man. The test originated in Dykes to Watch Out For, or DTWF, for a landmark comic strip that launched in 1983 and ran for 25 years. DTWF followed the politics of news of the times, providing weekly lifeline for queer readers across the U.S. Now, 40 years on, the trials and triumphs of Bechtel's tight-knit lesbian ensemble have been given a fresh lease on life in a new audio series, with a cast including Jane Lynch, Carrie Brownstein, and Roxanne Gay. DTWF started in the 1980s. Name one thing from that era that you're glad to be shot of and another that you miss. I'm glad to be shot of Ronald Reagan. Oh wow, look, a fellow Ronald Reagan hater. Although he did sort of seep out into the next decade, I miss the sense of community, the very tight-knit subculture that I was able to come out into. I wouldn't want to go back to that because that was a sign of how embattled we were. We had to form a separate culture, but it had a lot of consolation and it was quite wonderful in many ways. What made you decide to end the strip in 2008? It was very consuming and I had other things I wanted to do. I wrote the strip until the end of the Bush administration, when I was just exhausted. Little did I know what was to come. An epic amount of time to spend with one group of characters. Did you find yourself wondering what they were up to afterwards? Honestly, I didn't think much about them because I was so relieved at the time to have my life open up to other things. But after Donald Trump became president, I did a few self-therapeutic episodes about how the characters were responding, and recently, I've been working on another project with them, and that's been really fun. Which character do you most closely resemble? When I began writing, I envisioned Mo as an avatar of myself, but I've become like her girlfriend, Sydney, the evil woman studies professor, who's a more jaded, more worldly character. Yeah, that seems to happen over time, huh? You get more jaded? Uh, were you apprehensive about transforming a comic strip into an audio series? I didn't know it was going to happen. How do you turn a visual thing into an audio thing? But a wonderful playwright, Madeline George, did the adaption, and I'm still amazed at how she managed to take some of my original language. Your first memoir, Fun Home, describes how you, your closeted father died by suspected suicide shortly after he came out at the age of 19. How big have the cultural changes in gay culture been since that time? If you look at older gay people, and then at very young gay people, the change is quite marked. My generation made the generation possible, but it's pretty different from how we envisioned it. In what way? We were so attached to our identity as gay men or lesbians that it felt like that's going to be a historical blip. If humanity even survives another 100 years, which I'm not sure of, I think that there's going to be a lot less attachment to sexual or even gender identity. I think it's going to be much more fluid and we'd be fine with it. That's what I'm hoping for. Cause, you know, in a hundred years, everyone just like, I don't give a shit what you're doing, okay? <laughs> Let's stop acting like we actually care what other people are doing. Everyone is self-involved. They only care about themselves. Stop pretending that you actually care. Have you ever considered switching pronouns? I understand why people want to use they, and I could do that, but I've worked so hard to count as a she, so I'm gonna stick there. That's true, because I'm in the 80s, for example. 
a lot of lesbians were called men, right? Like, especially the butch lesbians, right? What are you, a man? Like, as an insult, to try to insult them. So, is it harder to be queer in America these days? Even a few years ago, I was saying, oh, it's so hard to convince people how hostile the culture was towards us when we were young. But now it's gone off the rails. All these anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ bills that that are being passed, it's crazy. I don't want to feed into people who are sure there's going to be a civil war. I could easily work up the, that anxiety. And sometimes in my worst moments, I do. I also don't want to take away the sense of urgency. You've got to be vigilant. Growing up, your family was in a funeral home business. Did that give you a healthy attitude towards mortality? I felt grateful to have exposure to death as a routine fact of life because most people don't have that. But I continue to grapple with my own mortality. Did it influence your sense of humor? We would joke about the funeral home. It was just part of our daily life and that definitely shaped me. Okay, we should talk about the Bechdel test. If we must. How do you feel about it these days? It was a joke. I didn't even attend for it to be a real gauge. It has become. And it's hard to keep talking about it over and over. But it's kinda cool. Is it dismaying that so many films continue to fail the test? What's really dismaying now is that is the way so many movies cynically try to take shortcuts and feature strong female characters. But they just have a veneer and strength and they're not totally fully developed characters. You hear about writer's block? Have you experienced illustrator's block? I often go through phases of it. Ideally, I would draw every day, but I've got into bad patches where I've stopped and I start to lose the skill. It's like any kind of manual dexterity. You lose it if you don't practice it. What gets you through? I have little projects that I force myself to do, like keeping a daily visual diary. In its original format, DTWF was released weekly. In its audio incarnation, listeners can binge the entire series. Is there anything you binge on? What I'm watching is a YouTube show by the Dutchman, Martijn Dolard, who, <laughs> Dolard, okay, sorry, who bought two crumbling stone barns, I mean, uh, who, bought two, who bought two crumbling stone barns in the Italian Alps and restores it in real time. It's so soothing, the antidote to all craziness that we're living through. He releases the episode weekly, but I'm a year behind, so I'm binging to catch up. Yeah, I love watching those. I don't know your opinion on like just watching people like do housework or like those videos where like this is how you would build a house if you lived in the woods and had no tools. You know, those kind of like prehistoric yeah, house building or whatever. Those are really those are really calming to watch. Just sit there for like 10 hours being like, man, I could do this. I'm not going to, but I could do this. <laughs> Hundreds of Siberia too. It's like, look what I can live in. I can live in this hole. Okay, <laughs> let's see. I it's dug a hole. Yeah. You lived there all winter. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, this day in history, 1608. Samuel D. Champlain, founder of the city of Quebec, permanent founded the city of Quebec in this day in 1608. First permanent U European base in Canada. 1775, George Washington officially assumed command of the Continental Army. And 1856, the U.S. House of Representatives voted to admit Kansas to statehood under the anti-slavery resolution known as the Topeka Constitution, despite the opposition of the Senate and President Franklin Pierce. 
1962, actor Tom Cruise was born. 1969, just weeks after being fired from the rock band Rolling Stones, British musician Brian Jones was found dead in his swimming pool. In 1971, American singer and songwriter Jim Morrison, who was a member of the Jim Morrison, was found dead in Paris at the age of 27 on this day, 1971. We don't have to tell you who Jim Morrison is, do we? Jim Morrison of the Doors, okay. 1976, Israeli commando squad led by Don Shomron launched a rescue of hostages held by airplane hijackers in Entebbe, Uganda. In 1995, the comedy Back to the Future was released. In 2013, following a massive demonstrations against his rule, Egyptian President Mohamed Morsi was removed from office by military action. And the featured uh, featured event today, the Battle of Gettysburg ended on this day. Following three days of intense fighting, casualties numbered more than 50,000. The Battle of Gettysburg ended this day in 1863 with the victory of the Union forces. It was seen as a turning point in the American Civil War. Uh, featured biography, let's see, uh, born on this day, July 3rd, 1854 in Puckvaldi, Bohemia, was Leos Janssenek. Czech composer. Also born this day, 1987, Sebastian Vettel, German race car driver. 1971, Julian Assange, Australian computer programmer and fugitive. 1970, Audra McDonald, American actress and singer, covered Tom Cruise. <sighs> Not a lot of famous people born today. George Sanders, Russian-born British actor. So there's a very undistinguished list of people I haven't heard of, other than Tom Cruise. Okay, and what day is it today? July 3rd? Oh my lord, it is National Chocolate Wafer Day. Chocolate Wafers. National Fried Clam Day. Have you ever thought mm. about fried is the day to do it. I've never had a fried National clam. National Compliment Your Mirror Day. <laughs> Compliment Your Mirror Nice mirror. No I, think, I think it's that body positive thing or mental positive thing where you look at the mirror and say, you can do this today. You've got this. You're the greatest. And then the whole day you're like, yeah, yeah, woohoo. <laughs> yeah, right. That mirror said so. International Plastic Bag Free Day. International Plastic Bag Free Day. Maybe think about a better name. National Eat Your Beans Day. Eat your beans and your chocolate wafers and look in the mirror and your fried clams. And that's International Drop a Rock Day. Uh, that's the one where you leave a, <laughs> it sounds like a, a gross thing, but. It sounds like a euphemism, yeah. The little rocks with messages on them everywhere, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so that's it. Okay, well, this has been Allison here from the Netherlands. I'm gonna go buy some chocolate wafers, learn how to fry some clams, and tell myself I'm the best in the mirror later. We will see you on Tuesday for more updates on any news we said today in the last few weeks. And this is Roger saying, you don't need a mirror because you are the best. Now go out there and knock them dead on July 3rd, 2022. From the people at Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.